I was uh, talking to Mark Bradley this morning. He goes, hey, you're using my life verse this morning in the message. How many of you have Romans 12, 1 and 2 as your life verse? Anybody besides him? Just a couple hands go up. Uh, this is one that I think if there was a text that I have heard preached on over and over again, this is the one. I remember as a young Christian, my pastor, evangelist coming in, other people using this as the text to bring about a change. And I know it did bring about a change in my life. And that's why I've talked to people in the past and said, this is it. You know, we've got the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and, you know, some of these classic verses that, that we just kind of hear over and over again that, well, if you will, this portion kind of puts in a capsule what this year is about, doesn't it? It's about developing Christians for Christ. Developing doesn't happen overnight. This is something in our lives that constantly God is going to be changing and transforming things inside of you and I to make us ultimately more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And this has to be done through you and I laying down our lives. And that's what this verse is talking about. A living sacrifice that we give God our all. And this renewing of the mind is where we're heading to. Uh, last week, last couple weeks actually, we've been, we've been talking about the peaceful mind. Now we have peace with our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians tells us, having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. And so this, this bringing to a proper relationship with God is through Jesus Christ and a peace that comes between ourselves and God, and we should know that. You should not go through your life wondering, I wonder if God and I have a great peaceful relationship. Because I know that I'm a sinner and I know there's, as he tells me, there's an enmity with God, the opposite of peace. There's a war going on. And God says, I'm going to take care of that and I'm going to create a bridge between man and myself. And it is through Jesus Christ. So we now have access by faith into his very presence. And because of that, we know we have a peace. Then, then on an everyday basis, God wants us to live with a peaceful mind. And this comes as a result of what we've been learning about in Philippians chapter number 4. Instead of the anxieties and being full of care, we are to pray. After we pray and we get basically our hearts right with the Lord, then the peace which passes all understanding keeps the hearts and minds through Christ Jesus and then it changes the way we think. And instead of looking at things suspiciously negative constantly, we begin to look at the truth. And all of a sudden, we're going through a hard time. But the truth is, we get rewarded in heaven for that. We get persecuted, it's okay. There's a crown waiting for us in heaven for that. We get to understand more about Christ when we suffer. That's the truth. We get the fellowship of His sufferings when we go through those hardships. You know, the economy and things that are, that are going on. We, the truth is, we as Christians get to uh, be active in our faith with God. And we get to God see, see God miraculously provide and do things for us because if it weren't for the negativity, we wouldn't see the positives that come from God. That's the truth. 
And that's how Christians go through life. And that goes along with what we're doing today. We're talking about a renewed mind, a new way of thinking. There is a contrast between the way that the world thinks and the way that the Christians think. It's completely opposite. It's darkness and light. Now, there are all kinds of ages that you can look at historically where there were, well, they use the word, the times of enlightenment, where they get in touch with Mother Nature and they try to discover and find these new things that make life relevant now. And there's always the, the, uh, the asceticism, the I'm going to do without certain things, and then I can get in touch with my real inner self. And then they start to go through this life-changing uh, time of, of forbidding certain foods, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to go into this tower, and I'm going to be a monk, and I'm going to do... There's all kinds of enlightenments that people try to go through to try to discover something that's new that is opposite of the world. And what we're going to talk about today is when we talk about not conforming to the world, it has nothing to do with the outward appearance. There's also those when they talk about do not be conformed to this world, that means that we shut down the electricity and phones and we, we don't use buttons anymore and we use pins instead and we wear certain colors and certain colors we don't, who is, who is develop, what is developed by a bishop tells everybody how to do things and how to dress. And, and if this looks worldly, well, you're not allowed to do it. And so you have to cut that out of your system. That is not what this verse is talking about. Right. It has nothing to do with an outward appearance. It has to do with our all, body, soul, spirit. And that's what he's talking about, the entirety, the perfection as he uses in the, in the last verse, the perfect, complete, balanced, mature mind in the will of God. And that's, folks, where we're going to. I, I want to be in God's will. And the only way I'm going to be in God's will, and if I'm going to develop you and I as a Christian to be in the center of God's will, that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God, then what I need to do is have a changed mind. Because until I transform and give my all to God, the action that God wants to do for me as a result of the mercies of God, bringing me more like the Lord Jesus Christ and having a changed mind, is never going to happen. It's not based on certain laws of do this and don't do that. Um, that's man's attempt to be religious. Being religious isn't what it's about. Trying to to change an outward that I don't look like them or I don't do this or go there. Or, you know, we got this whole list of what we think it, it really comes down to and he doesn't bring any of those issues up. There's been, you know, a lot of guilt through the years, I think, that have placed Christians into a prison based on these verses. That we begin to legislate what we feel is morality saying that you're worldly if you do this and don't do, or, or don't do that, and all of a sudden there's these obscure things that are out there that people have been telling us, and all of a sudden we don't, we don't ever match up to what their outward silhouette of what a Christian is supposed to be that's not conformed to the world. And we're like, I don't fit into that mold that you've created. And all of a sudden, these new Christians are coming in, and they're seeing a verse like this, and they're saying, okay, what's it mean to not be worldly? What does it mean, you know, to be a Christian? 
and have a changed mind? Is it based on what we, what we dress like or what we don't wear? Is, is Christianity based on an outward appearance? And one of the greatest rebukes from the Lord Jesus Christ is on the Pharisees, who he called nothing but a place for dead bones, dead bodies, but the outside, you, you paint it white like it's real pretty. But on the inside, is nothing but full of dead bones. And he's like, you think you clean up the outside, and you don't look like everybody else, and you act like you're holy, and all of a sudden that makes you good? And God says, all of a sudden, guess what? You're more corrupt than this girl over here who's you know, giving her body uh, on the streets. I can save her, but because you're self-righteous and you think you got it all together because the outward appearance is all right, you're going to hell. And they say, wait a minute, I'm not a prostitute and I'm not doing drugs and I'm not doing this and I don't do all those things, but you know, I go to church and I, have, I wear certain things and I'm a, I'm a holy person. And God says, no, you're not. That's this, this facade that is going on in the Christian realm right now. It's been going on for years. It's like, what is a Christian supposed to look like? What are we supposed to do? Act like. And there's a whole lot of confusion and when we look at what was measuring rod at this point, and if I don't meet up with that measuring rod, then you're telling me I'm lost because I don't do it exactly like you do it. And it's not even based on the Scriptures. So let's get biblical. That's what I'm here to talk to you about. Let's get back to the Scriptures. Because for years, I hear people go from this and talk about every issue under the sun that they wanted to talk about. They could use this for why women aren't supposed to wear pants. Heard that one for years. And why certain musics and certain TV and this and this, you know, going out. And, you know, heard guys, uh, I'll be careful here, but there's one guy, this one preacher, man, he's, you know, I was at his house, okay? And I'm, I'm in his living room. And he's got a stack of DVDs this high, you know, and a TV right here. And the next day I'm hearing him preaching to the congregation and saying how wicked TV is and that he doesn't own one. I almost, almost raised my hand. I say, sir, hello, I was just in your house and you have one. And you're making everybody feel in the congregation that they're wicked, rotten people going to hell because they have a TV in their house. I'm like, what is it? It's hypocrisy when we start to take a text like this and try to bring in what our philosophies of worldliness are. And I think it goes beyond, folks, this what we're doing outwardly to try to show because what I have seen is off, we, we look the Christian part, we smile the Christian, and really what's going on inside of us is, is a whole lot of confusion. Well, today, what I want to talk to you and I about, and, well, we probably won't get done today, is there is some things biblically that God is, is real clear on. And it is not man's traditions. And that's what I'm preaching against today. And some of you have them. And I love you. But get over them. They're your traditions. Because you have a tradition... And you say, this is compromising to me. And if you feel that everybody else ought to abide by your rules that you've made up, that you don't have a Bible verse to back it up, you've got to go put your head on a pillow and have a good conscience about what you believe in your traditions. 
but you cannot pass them on to me. I'm free. Yay. I'm free. So what I'm saying is if you can't find it in the Bible and prove it there, keep it to yourself. Okay? For years, this is way back, uh, maybe 1800s, can't remember exact time period, but the preaching from the evangelists is true. We're preaching against wireframe glasses. Because wireframe glasses were worldly, that's what the world wears, Christians ought not to wear wireframe glasses. And it's true. This is documented preaching. Very deep. It's in the Greek, I guess. <laughs> Folks, I'm not going to be preaching on glasses. I'm not going to be preaching on these outward things that seems to be something that because the world begins to do something, then all of a sudden it's illegal. And then what happens is through the next generation, when the next generation comes on the scene and they look back at what they were saying was so wicked and wrong, and they're like, what's wrong with it? What's, what was so wrong about it? See, folks, it's not about that. And we've got a generation coming up through, and you know what they're looking for? Real. And they don't want to see the hypocrisies. They want to see real. And, and I want to be, as a pastor for you, real. Okay. I got a TV in my house. Now, if you're offended by that, you need to leave right now. I love you. But I got a TV. Matter of fact, I've been wanting to watch uh, Flywheel, Christian film. Somebody's saying, hey, it's a really good one. Got to watch that, you know. I've watched Fireproof. Okay. I've watched it. Powerful, powerful film. Going to have it in my office for counseling. It's good stuff, man. Brings conviction. Brought conviction to me. I was talking to a man. He says, my home is in order. I feel that. I love my wife. My wife loves me. But I'm going through the 40 days. He goes, this is transforming my love for my wife. Just getting things right. It's all based on some, some great ideas. You know what? Okay, I got that. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled is nothing pure. A defiled conscience can take anything and make it polluted and ugly. And the Christian is able to take something and look at it and be able to use it and, and, and get it going in a direction. And this is what the renewed mind is about, getting it going in a Christian matter or a Christian manner or, or way. So there's a begging at the beginning of this verse. This is not if you'd like to. But he says, I beseech you. I'm like grabbing you by the shoulders right now and saying, please, I pray you listen to me about this one. You know, parents, you talk to your kids, listen, I'm going to say it louder and slower so you really understand I mean this, you know? That's what this is about. I want to pull you right to my side, and I, you need to get this one. It is not based on what his philosophies are, but what he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the what? Mercies of God. Well, where are we going to find the mercies of God? What does he talk about? First 11 chapters. That's what he's talking about. Everything that we have been discovering in Romans 1 through 11 are now going to go into a practical way of living. We've learned about 1 through 3, 
how lost the world really is, how depraved the world really is. So I'm thinking yesterday, I'll just go ahead and get the paper out and read what's going on in the world. Folks, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to read. I, I would not want to publicly read to you about the depravity of man. There's some episode that happened in some state where this guy was arrested. I can't even talk to you publicly. It's embarrassing what he did. And it's like, man, there's something wrong with the brain here of certain folks. And of course, that's what the news media wants to exploit and try to show. And so this is this, is this depravity. So yesterday I'm doing the walk. Sometimes I run it, sometimes I walk, walking it yesterday, so I had ch a chance to walk on this road. And while I'm gone, about every five feet is more garbage on the road. Doesn't it drive you nuts? It's like, put it, and it make these things called garbage cans. It's amazing. I, that, that's, okay, now I feel better. I got that off my chest. Don't throw things out your window. It's, it's dirty. It's like, I don't want to see your junk. Put it in a garbage can. It's not that hard. So I'm driving along, and I know everybody's going to, before they start mowing, have to pick all this stuff up. Every other thing on the ground was a whiskey bottle or a beer can. And then the next one were cigarette packages, chew packages, and every, I'm just watching everything that I'm looking at while I'm walking, you know? And I'm looking, it's just like, doesn't this represent our culture? I'm thinking, this is where they're at. I get drunk while I'm driving. I throw the evidence out. I feel good about myself. Our policeman, I'll give you the name of that road. You could probably stake out right there and watch bottles being thrown. Literally, about every six feet was another bottle. And I'm thinking, isn't this America? We don't care about anybody else. We're very selfish. Somebody else will pick up my dirt. I could be driving drunk and kill somebody. It'll never happen to me. So we drive illegally drunk. Christians, by the way, I hope you know that that's not a good thing to do. Like DUI is not a good reputation for a Christian to have. You following me? All these things that are there, I'm thinking, there is our culture. There is the way the world thinks. And what we have to do is have a renewed mind because of what mercies have been given to us, it transforms, mutates the way you and I begin to think. And we don't think about those things. Instead, there's a transformation that begins to happen in our minds. So, these mercies of God, there's the depravity of man. You say, you mean we're all sinners? Yeah, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3. So we, we see then, as a result of this sin, that God sends His own Son, dies on the cross, blood is shed on the cross for our sin. We're getting close to Easter. You know, we're thinking about the cross and all these sacrifices. There is a faith in His blood that brings a redemption inside of our hearts. We're forgiven, in other words, that He buys us back. He, like, takes care of our sin for us so we get to go free. And then it's always been that way, chapter 4. You know, Old Testament saints, they're saved the same way by faith and what God has done on the cross. And then chapter number 5, there's the justification. You know, uh, the, the list goes on with chapter after chapter about all of the salvation that is about the mercies of God. And not only that, he gives us his spirit in chapter number 8, takes care of that. You know, the, just the list goes on, in, in, including the, the, the salvation in chapter 10 of all mankind. And we pray for that. If you're here and you're not saved, you realize people have been praying from this church all week for you? 
There's a young lady in my office this week. She just got saved a couple weeks ago. I said, young lady, I said, you don't even know this, but people constantly, myself and other people in this church have been praying for you, and you didn't even know it, and they didn't even know who you were. They are praying that God would save people through the preaching of the very Word of God, that faith would come into your heart to believe in Jesus Christ, that you would believe and be saved. And it's like, wow, it's so cool. It is cool. That's, that's Romans 10. So we get these mercies understood, and then it's almost like we sit back on our seat, and we go, wow. The mercies of God are, wow. So what does this do then to us? He grabs us by the shoulder and says, because of what you have just discovered about what God has done for you and I, there's something He wants you and I now to do. He wants you and I to be a living sacrifice. Not lifeless. Not a dead sacrifice. But a full of life sacrifice. You say, that's an oxymoron. They, they don't go together. I understand. Life and death are opposites. Because a sacrifice represents a death. And yet, he uses the word life right in front of it. Meaning this living sacrifice is not lifeless or full of dead works, but alive as a result of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us in Romans chapter 8. It's a result of faith, Romans chapter number 1. It's because of a zeal, Romans chapter number 10. This stuff is real inside of you and I. It's not a facade. It's not something that we put on the outside. It goes right to the inner part of us. And that living sacrifice is you and I coming to a place where we understand that, Lord, my life is not mine anymore. I'm going to place it right onto the altar for, you and, for, for me to give you my life, God, that you can begin to use me. Until we as Christians die we will not live a resurrected life. Romans chapter 6. Until we come to the place where we say, my life is out of control the way I've been doing it, and we finally say, God, I am going to die to those things. I can't do it. And until I give, you are never going to develop for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are not going to be ultimately used by God. What Christ said is we are to take up our cross daily and to follow Him. Cross is death. And it's when we, we die to self is when we begin to discover this mercy of grace that is given to you and I, enabling us to do this for God. Because if we go in in control saying, Lord, I'm here, we're not going to experience it. But we come in and say, Lord, I can't do it. I am a sacrifice. I am dead. And now I'm coming and giving you my life because I can't control it. Then God says, now I'm ready to change you. Now I'm ready to do something with you, through you. Now, folks, till we die, I want to be used by God. I'm glad three of you agree. Isn't that what we're here for? Isn't that where we're heading to? That we may know what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. This is, it's not about my will. I, I, I told the choir, I said, it's, a, it's a kind of a quick song that they did this morning. Appreciate Beth singing that. And, but it's not about, as Jesus taught in Gethsemane, it's not my will. 
but thy will be done. And we're looking for God's will in our lives. And once we finally die, we can discover it and go forward to that mark. So how's this done? Well, he tells us that we are living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. That is, number one, that is holy. That is without blemish. Holy. Separated. Under the very purpose of God. Um, we love that word, or song, holy, holy, holy. Love to sing that as an opener. That's a good one. Doug, we need to do that one again. We haven't done that one for a long time. Put that in the roster for the next couple months. And we, we think about those words. And it is about the holiness of God. And it's based on Isaiah. Where that scene of glory is the angel crying out those words. Holy, holy, holy. To the Lord God, all-powerful or almighty. And it is the Father, and it is the Son, and it is the Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. He is a trinity, three in one. And that's what that song is, the doctrine of that song is trying to teach. So what God has done, now follow me, through the Lord Jesus Christ, He has made you and I holy in His sight. That we have been cleansed. Our sin has been washed away. And because of the blood of Christ, listen to me, you can't in God's sight get any better than you are. You're as clean as you need to be to get into heaven, in other words. It's a done deal. It's a position that you have in Christ. But this verse is trying to show you and I, now let's live out what we are. Let's live out what God has done for us. Now, um, this, this again could be really obscure in a, in a new Christian's mind. I mean, how am I holy? How do I live holy? What is holy? Okay? And there again, right away, we think of outward. And pure holiness is not outward, it's inward. It's the mind. It has to do with what we then do through our actions. That we would not be blamed by the world, by anybody, of wrongdoing. Without blame. There is no blemish. There is nothing there that could be accused. We have we can think of the verses where Jesus Christ said, uh, excuse me, John the Baptist said of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And we see in 1 Peter that Jesus Christ is the one who redeems us as the spotless lamb, and there cannot be any outward blemish. So Christ fulfills our holiness in that we could not be holy except for what He has done for us, making us holy. And now what we do is we look at Christ as the example of holiness, and we mimic Him. It has nothing to do with you and I walking around with robes on. That's not what holiness is about. It's not, okay, let's get sandals or no sandals and let's sell our houses because Jesus didn't have a house. You know, go around by faith hoping somebody's going to feed us that day. You know, he didn't have a full-time job. Not like Paul. He, Paul was even a tent maker, you know. He didn't have any of those things. So, so is that what we're supposed to do? No. I don't see that. Remember, I see work ethics in the New Testament. So God's not asking us to do that. But in what we are doing, we're to have the mind of Christ. We're to be thinking how Christ would have thought in true, genuine, holy thoughts. 
Now again, we're dealing with what is true, pure, lovely. Remember those things about what we're to think on? Now let me talk to you very open for a moment. What happens in our minds whenever something that's negative, even sinful, that we get in touch with or we are around? Okay? All of a sudden, there needs to be a transformation of the thought process. Let me illustrate it. Years ago, there was a famous evangelist And as he was done preaching one night, and he was on his way home, a young lady who was a hooker came up to him and grabbed him. And as she began to grab this pastor and begin to see him, she's waiting for this embrace back and talking about how much are you going to be. She didn't hear those words. Instead, she looked up into this man's face And you know what she saw? Tears. And this man is crying over her. And she ran away crying herself. That's holy thoughts. Folks, we can't get away from the pollutions of this world. And that's not what God is asking us to do. He doesn't want us to go away into a holy huddle go up into a tower that we don't see anything that's going on in the world, and that's how we're going to keep our minds pure. It doesn't work that way. How can we go into the world and not see the world, folks? We're commissioned to go into it. We are going to be around it. David and I, we've been in countries. We've we've seen them. When we were in Burkina, every time we went to John and Tammy Cooley's house, there were prostitutes yelling at us right by their house. Okay? It's a real world out there. And they're using English words that they probably didn't altogether even know what they were saying. But they're yelling at us. And poor John had to go by this every day, two, three times a day. He's going by these hookers. How do you get your mind holy? Thinking on the inward parts that that which is right. Well, we have to saturate our minds with holy things to think holy. True? So we get into the Word and we start getting it inside of us so that we begin to think like Christ would think. To allow the mind to wander in what they called enlightenment, which is actually showing the depravity of man opposite of holiness. We are to be a holy and we are to be acceptable or well-pleasing to God. Well done. Remember those words Jesus said about entering into the presence of God? We're waiting for Him to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we can't wait to hear. Well done. And what we want to do is as we're going through life, we are looking back at yeah, how Christ would do it. And, and the thing is, what Christ did, now follow me, everything Christ did while He was here on this earth was well-pleasing to the Father. Every time. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well-pleased. said it a couple different times. Well-pleased. 
Don't you want to hear God say to you someday, well done. I am pleased with what you have done for me. And by the way, Christians won't always agree with you. Family members won't always agree with you. But you have to do. Now follow me. I'm not talking as a family or even a church family. I'm talking about you as an individual who is part of this family. That you zero in on you and do that which is well-pleasing in God's sight. So years ago, so years ago, my wife and I, as we started to grow as Christians, we started to go to church a little bit more. And matter of fact, uh, Lori's like, hey, we had to join the choir. And I, there was only a couple times that I would ever sing out loud. You know what I mean? I just, I just didn't do that. And so, and so she's like, we're going to join. Of course, back at this church, we had to get in front of a piano and actually sing so they actually knew that we could sing, you know, hold a note. And so I'm like sweating, just out of body. So Kathy, uh, the pianist, she goes, so Carl, what are you going to sing? I don't even remember what I sang. Probably Amazing Grace. You know, just anything I could kind of maybe remotely know as a young Christian. So I sang, and she's like, you're in. Okay, now I'm in a choir. <laughs> it's amazing how we do things, and we don't even know how we got there. You know, it's just like, I'm in a choir now? Okay, so we got in the choir. And so that meant Sunday afternoons, we're going to choir practice. And of course, while we're there, we might as well stay for church. <clears throat> So, so instead of Sunday afternoons being at mom and dad's house and staying there all Sunday afternoon, we're eating and leaving because we had to be back for choir practice. And you would say, well, aren't you trying to do something that's well-pleasing to the Lord? And it's like, we thought we were, but not everybody agreed with that. And they said, why are you going to church again? Weren't you just there this morning? Yeah. Oh, you're in the choir now. Okay. So how far are you going to take this religious stuff? So are you going to like live there all the time? No, talk to me about your schedule. Okay. Go to church, Sunday morning. Sunday school, church, choir practice, Sunday night. Then there's a bell choir too here. And then, of course, uh, Thursday was uh, visitation. And then Saturday morning was visitation for bus ministry. And then Saturday, Sunday morning, then you're up at 6 a.m. to go do the bus route. And yeah, seems like you kind of live there. Oh, Wednesday night, too. Forgot about Wednesday night. So we're there, you know, like, like three, four days. And that's besides the Bible study and discipleship and everything else was going on. And then we started Bible college. Wow. So you look at all this and you say, well, how far are you going to take this thing? And folks, listen, you will be criticized by good intending purpose uh, people that are going to really try to deter you from doing what is well-pleasing in God's sight. It's going to happen. Your family members, it might be your wife. It might be your husband. They're going to say, you're going there, what? You're going where? And I remember this one guy sat down with his wife and she's like, you're going to church again? And she began to nag him about going to church and doing this and doing that. And finally one day he looked at her and said, sweetheart, let me ask you a question. 
Would you rather it be that I'm going to a bar to hang out with the guys? Would it be better if I was out getting drunk and you were wondering where I was at? Gambling money away? Honey, I'm going to church. <laughs> I want to serve the Lord. That was the last time. She stopped and realized, you know what? There are things that we put our time into. And, you know, I'm looking forward to fishing. I like to fish. I like to get these worms, get them wet. And I like to do that stuff, you know, try new jigs out. You know, I'm not a good fisherman, man. I drown in worms and stuff. I do uh, crickets once in a while. Casey and I would go out and drown some crickets, you know. And I like to do things like that. But, you know, what we're doing here today, this is good. What's going to ha happen tonight, it's good. Now, remember, there are, th there are balances in life. I mean, we can either fish all the time, or we could go to church all the time, but God wants us to have balance, eh? Everything is full of balance. And that's what I'm trying to show you, is that, folks, there's nothing sinful about owning an RV. There's nothing sinful about owning a boat. You might have six, eight fishing rods. Go get them, boys. You know, have fun. Pull one on every angle of the boat. You know, I don't care. Go have fun. But with, if that is what your life is about, you might have the mind of the world. Then the heart isn't there. Instead, what we ought to be doing is realizing there's a balance in life, but we're not going to not go to church so we can have fun on the golf course. You know, or fishing or whatever it is. Life is full of balance. I mean, the things that occupy the mind is what we're dealing with. And so as we're looking at what we are doing, can it be something that is well-pleasing to the Lord? And that's where you as an individual, you look at what you're doing, and you balance your life out, and you will do well. And you won't be going insane. We have Christians sometimes are so imbalanced that that nobody can re relate to them, and, and that's not good either. We want to have balances. That living sacrifice that is a holy one, that is acceptable, well-pleasing to God, and this is just your reasonable service. I love this phrase. Reasonable service means to be rational. It creates a standard, if you will, Meaning that you are not going beyond the call of duty. That's my, that's my way of defining this. In other words, you say, you mean going to church? God's not going to give me a pat on the back? <laughs> no. No. You mean I put tithe in and God's not going to be... Wow, man, you... Yeah, go, guy! No. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. You mean if I go to Sunday school? You mean I'm not going to get a special reward in heaven? You mean I'm discipling somebody and, and I'm not going beyond the call of duty? No, that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the standard of living for a Christian. And here we think we're doing such a great job and we haven't even got to the standard yet. By living for the Lord and giving our life to Him, a sacrifice, saying, Lord, here I am, we're just doing what is expected of us. We've not even gone beyond the call of duty. 
say, preacher, that's really depressing. I thought I was doing so good. I'm not saying you're doing bad. I'm just saying, isn't there more? That we, we stop and realize that when we give our life to the Lord, it becomes a lifestyle. Let me illustrate it this way. When our Savior was here on this earth, His compassions and, and the things that moved Him, the people that He hung out with, shows us what we are supposed to become. When Christ was on this earth, He didn't hang out with His twelve all the time. Matter of fact, the accusations that they have of Jesus is that He hung out with the drunks and the prostitutes. And the, and, the, and the tax collectors, which were the bad guys. Wow. And this is who Jesus hung out with, is people that the crowd didn't even like. It's like, why are you hanging out with these people? Because they needed the Lord. He said, if you're whole, you don't need a physician. But if you have a disease, you have something going on, you you need, a, you need a healer, don't you? You need a, a physician to help you. They need a physician. You don't think you need one. You think you're okay the way you are. So you're not getting it. These guys are getting it. So I'm going to hang out with them. So these prostitutes are getting saved, you know, coming to his feet, you know, crying all over Jesus' feet and wiping his feet. I mean, these, these are bad people. And Jesus is glorified through someone who is able to recognize who God is and, and is saved. And all of a sudden, it helps us to stop realizing, folks, I've been praying about this. I, you know, I'm hoping that this changes me because when I look at the life of Christ, He didn't hang around with the believers all the time. He actually was there befriending lost people. And I'm like, Lord, who are the people that are lost that I am right now actively trying to win for you? I got people I'm discipling. We got Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school. You know, we got all this time of teaching. But when am I going to the lost and actually engaging in an individual's life? Because that's what Jesus did. And he was, listen, and he came to a place of maturity that we're going to head towards. That maturity didn't allow him to be persuaded by the world, but instead he persuaded the world. That's what it's about. Is it making any sense? So we start looking at our life, and we say, Lord, because of all that you have done for me through your mercies, I'm now coming to you, and here's my body. Here is my all. Here is my mind. Here is my spirit. With all of our spirit, you know, our mind, strength, everything is, is now going to be God's. And this is how I'm going to worship you, Lord, because the altar symbolizes worship. So, Lord, I'm going to come to you, and here's my... Living, dead body, if you will. I'm alive, I'm still here, I'm vertical, and yet, Lord, it's now going to be sacrificed that I don't own it anymore. It's yours. And it symbolizes what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Because Christ is, as it will, that altar, that brazen altar, where the lamb was taken in the time of the tabernacle, and he, that lamb, was destroyed and burnt entirely. No portion was given to the priests or the people. It was a total consuming of the body. That's what Christ did for you and I. 
He gave His all on the cross, died for our sin so that we could have forgiveness. And now in return, we're coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, here I am. I'm giving You my all, and yet I'm still here vertical. I'm living. So by doing that, we're saying, I'm not in control anymore because I'm looking for Your will. And as that happens, I want to live holy. I want to live well-pleasing in Your sight. And Lord, I want to do what is at least required of me to do the standard of living you say you mean i should i should be watching what i watch and listening to what i listen to and my, my communication my forgiveness and everything that i'm doing outwardly is part of all of this absolutely now you're getting it and what happens is instead of happening to teach you what's good or what's bad on tv you know it if you don't need listen if you don't know when to turn a channel Come on. I had one preacher, he, he was getting hammered because he had a TV in his house. He said, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't got a single TV in my house. He goes, I have four of them. <laughs> he goes, when well, I'm cooking, I want to watch the news or whatever. And the guy said, oh, that's so sinful of you to have a TV in your house. Look what you're putting your money toward and everything. He goes, let me ask a question. He goes, why do you think they put that on-off switch and channel churner on there? I don't like it. I turn it. To the pure, all things are pure. There are certain things, folks, in our music world that are absolutely hurtful for the mind. And kids, don't get mad at your parents because your parents say, turn that off and throw that out. Okay? Don't get mad at them. They love you. There are certain things that you ought not to be listening to because it hurts the mind. And then they're encouraging you to read your Bible and to pray. That's a good thing for the mind. And there's things that, that holy and acceptable, well-pleasing to God, that you need to stop and say, Lord, is this well-pleasing to you? There's a time in the book of Acts that a certain people began to see Christ and they got saved. And what they did was they had, if you will, a big bonfire. And they took all those things that they knew were part of their past, their idolatry, and they took them, and it was worth, if you will, thousands and thousands of dollars. Witchcraft books, all kinds of things that, well, they had to sacrifice to get in the first place. And they said, this stuff's worthless now. And they went and chucked it out. Burned it up. And maybe some of us need to stop and do some house cleaning. Because if it isn't good, it isn't good. There were certain books I had to burn as soon as I got saved that I had as a teenager. I remember having a bonfire. It's like, I don't need this stuff anymore. And you burn it up. You, know, and it, you see, it's all of a sudden, it's like, Lord, it's not about me. I need to give it to you. Because I want to live holy. I want, I want to hear the words, well done. Well pleasing. And you did the right thing. Whether it's popular or not, doesn't matter. You do what's well pleasing in God's sight. And all of a sudden, our standard of living starts to increase, and people are starting to see the change, and all of a sudden they're going to say, what happened to you? How comes you don't have those dirty jokes anymore? How comes you don't do these things anymore? How comes you're not going to have a beer after work with the guys? I don't want to do that anymore. Well, why not? Because I want to go home and be with my wife. I miss my kids. I'd rather be them with them. My wife's much prettier than you are. I'd rather hang out with her. All of a sudden they're like, you know, come to think of it, I suppose my house would be a lot better too if I did the same thing. Yeah. There's this domino effect. Kind of proves love. This one guy, he was, uh, 
He was bellyaching about how his wife had had an affair with somebody else. He was bellyaching. This was man number four in this girl's life. He goes, oh, I'm going to divorce that woman. I'm tired of all of this. And the guy knew him well. He said, well, let me ask you a question. After work, where do you go? Well, I hang out with the guys. Where do you go? Well, to the bar and get drunk. And he knew he's, he's dope, you know, he smoked dope and everything. I knew that too. He said, do you think maybe... If you quit going to bars, drinking, getting drunk, and doing dope, and being there with your wife, she might not be with another guy. And he said, I never thought of that. <laughs> what a novice idea. I don't know if he ever did that. Probably not. Uh, he's been in that uh, jail quite a bit. I don't know. And you stop and you look at that and you say, what a waste of life. And that's exactly right. And I'm here to say to you, don't have a wasted life. That's what this is all about. You can't waste a life if you give it to God. You just gained it. Because in God's world, if you give up that which you cannot keep, you're going to gain that which you're never going to lose. And that's what this is, this is all about. If you're not saved here, my friend, you've been hearing this stuff about Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead, this is for you. And He gave His life for you. He gave it for me. And I was 19 when I got saved. And you can get saved today. You say, you know, I'm, I'm young or maybe I'm 87 years old. I just let a lady 87 years old just a couple weeks ago to the Lord. It ain't too late. The Gaspars, uh, Jordan uh, Gaspar's grandmother. I don't know if they're here. Are they up there? Jordan, how old? Was it your grandmother? They got saved down in Mexico. How old was she? 104 years old. You want to talk about the long suffering of the Lord? 104 years old. She finally says, yep, to Jesus. She says, yes to Christ. It ain't too late. Lord, this is your word. This is your work. This is your invitation. Lord, you know the hearts of each one. You know whether they're saved or not. Lord, I can identify with that moment that I believed in You and trusted You as Savior. I know what You've done in my life. And Lord, I know now what You want to do continually in my life and what You want to do in others. So Lord, You've called me to preach Your Word. And I pray that Your Word as it has gone out today, the concepts that are found have been truth. That they've been real. And Lord, I pray that you'll minister to hearts in lives here today. And Lord, there may be some Pharisees here that need to confess their sin. There may be some here that have never trusted Christ as their Savior. They need to believe in you as their Savior today. There may be some changes some of us as Christians need to, to make that we know, Lord, if you were to return right now, that we know our lives are not well-pleasing to you. And I pray, Lord, that you will bring the conviction to each heart as only you can. This is your work. Bless now this brief invitation, and we will thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen.